Oh my gosh. All right, are you recording? Yes. Let's do this. We're gonna do one and two and one, two, three. Hey, good afternoon, morning, evening, whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this podcast. This is episode 12. And my we made part- it to 12. That's a big deal. We made it to 12. Is lucky, there any significance? Lucky number 12. Is there significance in the number 12? Do you know anything about it? 12, 12. It's a divine number. Okay. All right, so today we have Katie Ryan on the line on the podcast line and she's going to come in and talk to us a little bit about, she runs the 24 foundation up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, she also has another major event in Indianapolis, Indiana through the same foundation. And Katie has a long lineage of fundraising assets. She is one of the most sought after in the region, um, charity fundraise executives and she has for the last several years been running a really fantastic event in charlotte called 24 hours of booty that's how i first found out about her my daughter was doing something to the school through a program that she was coordinating and they get students from all over the city to come and 24 hours of booty it's a bicycle race around a a cordoned off loop in charlotte every year they raise millions of dollars and teams come out and you compete in a non-competitive capacity against yourself, you, you each take turns running laps around this perimeter and they have like live music and it's like a whole stakeout for the 24 hours. It's pretty cool. But the money that she raises is um, used for play, cancer placement is the best way I can describe it. So she, and she's gonna talk a little bit more about it, but she channels her money into the support system that is responsible for supporting people who have cancer or suffering from cancer, or terminally mm-hmm. ill, that sort of stuff. So if you're a stay at home person taking care of a loved one. And so she provides services in that space mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of other stuff behind the scenes. So, um, so she's going to come in and talk a little bit about us, about her, about conflict. She's going to talk about us. Yeah. Awesome. She's going to talk about <laughs> conflicting perspectives and how you still stay connected with your people. And she more than ever has to stay connected. She's raising money from the public and the public is outside of public. It's it's not public anymore, slowly coming back in, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But before she comes on, I wanted to have this little side headage right here. Um, Before she comes on, you and I are gonna kind of talk a little bit about, we had a couple of situations that occurred with us last week and we have, I don't know if you knew, but we have a couple of things going on on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard. A couple of big things, which kind of timestamps this, but there's a couple of huge, huge things that have have come out in the last couple months, in the last couple weeks, and have really brought people out with uh, statements, positions. Different. Some of, some of them conflicting. Conflicting perspectives. Mm-hmm. So. We're not going to go political. And if you see me lurch all of a sudden, that's because Lisa kicked me under the table and told me not to say what I'm supposed to, what I'm not supposed to say. This is the censorship label over here. But it's funny to me. And we talk about this even outside of global issues going on. And we talk about this all the time. It's very difficult for me to understand sometimes how one person can feel emphatically about something and somebody else feel just radically, emphatically opposite as them. It's hard for me to understand that, given everything we know about the same situation or the same context, and yet two people can have marked differences. So 
you've encountered this. Mm -hmm. You're much more diplomatic than I am. I don't know if anybody ever told you that. You didn't know that about me. I'm not very diplomatic <laughs> sometimes. There's no filter. <laughs> but yeah, when you're saying like it can be over anything. We talked about sports. People will get into fisticuffs over sports because they're so passionate about their team and their team is the best team. So it's it's going for minute things, not saying that sports are minute, but in minute things to huge things, politics, everything. People's perspectives can be so radically different. So how do you get along with these people that are are bellowing out the thing that they feel is the most important and it just it just sends you in the opposite direction running? Bellowing is a good word. Thank you. I've not heard bellowing in many years. Bellowing sounds like something that would come from a castle attack or something. Bellow out. So anyway, um, I'm just trying to keep it light because you're getting really deep there. I don't really know. You know, there's so many things going on right now that add conflicting information uh, everywhere you go. And and it, there's one episode, and I, I, I you're going to get mad at me for asking this, but the timing of things is so perfect right now for everything that is happening. And it's hard to believe that it's by accident. So you have Corona still in the midst of everything. You have multiple opinions about that. Some people think there's, there's the conspiracy theory group. There's the anti-vaccination group. There's the other people who think this is all politically motivated. And there's so many things that are just supercharged right now. And people are passionate about it. People are passionate about it. And it with masks, for example. So I'm not a scientist, nor am I a viral virologist um, or an epidemiologist or any of those things that have IST in the back of the name. But I do read a lot and I do research a lot of things before I speak about it. There is not any credible scientific evidence whatsoever that exists that wearing a mask, for example, does or does not prevent or or protect. There's some stories that say they that there's particle. But anyway, I'm not going to go into the science behind it. So there are some people that are ardent about masks, and there are some people that are not. How do, how do people's opinions form like that, which such market differences? And then how does that opinion leveraged into what they carry about in their day-to-day lives? Well, we don't know what their backstory is, and I think it's important to remember that. We see surface what somebody is doing, but we don't need see necessarily all the reasons behind that, whether they have you know something that affects them personally or affects their family, and there's a reason for them doing that, and maybe that's why they're so passionate about that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that are are you know starting fights over people not wearing masks, or you know, there's there's maskism. Maskism. There's abrasion over that, but maybe we just do need to take our egos out of that and realize that there's, there's, you know, show some respect and there's a reason for them doing what they do. And if it's not really affecting us in any way, then why should we let it bother us? You're always the diplomat and I don't disagree with your perspective. And I I would be the last person to start violence over my difference of opinion on it. Unless there was, you know, my physical health was at stake around it. Who's to say that our opinion is the right opinion, though? Exactly. Who's to say that our perspective is the right perspective? Exactly. We, we Again, we put our ego into things and we think we're always right and we're, you know, things should revolve around us and, and our opinions. But 
But who's to say that we're not educated in the right way, that they have more information on something or a different point of view that absolutely. we should respect. But where I was going with that is that's, that's, that's all fine and dandy as long as the lines are neutral, but there is actual physical physicality and, and violence going on over masks. So that's at that point, you know, people are imposing their opinion mm -hmm. one way or the other on mm -hmm. someone else. It's kind of the same as religion or the same as politics or anything else. And so we have the point that we're trying to say is that there are these differing perspectives. And as Lisa astutely pointed out, we have no idea what that person is going through. And for us to make a rash judgment based upon what we observe, that's just that it's irrational and rash and unjustified. So how do you go about dealing with people like that when you know you have markedly different opinion about them? How do you still engage with them and be cordial and diplomatic and kind? How do you do that? I make faces at them behind their back. <laughs> they talk shit about them when they're not around. <laughs> so you just you put no, up a face and then no. I'm just let it all vent out. Sometimes I flash them a finger when they're not looking. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you, for real though? So, because you're, you are, um, you seem to get along with everybody for the most part. I think most people can contribute to whatever. If you're working on a project, most people, if they're there to help contribute to that project, they have something that they can really offer. And again, you need to take your ego out of it. You don't need to be best friends with them. But if they're there, if they're showing up for a specific reason, there's a reason that they're there. And they either they have something to contribute or they have something to teach you or they have something that they need to learn. So, Or we have something they need to learn. Mm -hmm. What was the right answer to that question? I don't think there is a right answer to that question. I think I think I struggle with it from time to time. You have you have a scenario where you were fully vested in something and poured your heart and soul into something to make make it what you thought it was supposed to be, and then you invited other people into that space and to connect with them. And then from you from your perspective, those people didn't respect your process. And so I guess mm -hmm. you, you have it, your first reaction would be like, fuck them, man, that's, and then you're right. When you, when you stop and step back, like you're just looking at it. I'm personally just looking at it through my lens, not what they're, I have no idea. I mean, I'm obviously right, but. But it's easy to get offended when somebody says something that is, you've put your heart and soul into and it's contrary to what you feel like you were doing. It's easy to get offended. But you, but I'm obviously right though. You know, I could admit that. But I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah, the, so that's the, that's the thing. There, we, we think that we're always right about our opinion, and whether it's racism, and whether it's Corona, whether it's wearing masks, sports, politics, yeah. clothing, music, like everything. Yeah, and even parenting. Mm -hmm. Even parenting. I mean, mm -hmm. every little thing, every nuance. I'm reading this book right now, um, "Last Days of Ancient Sunlight," and I'd like to, man, I would love to get that author on, um, Tom Hartman's his name, but anyhow, he talks about how racism, for example, which is a hot topic, it, you know, it's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it's funny because he wrote this book almost eight years ago. And a lot of the stuff that he's talking about in that book, we're actually living right now and living in it. It's kind of weird. It's like you 
stepped into a time machine because he talked about it and now we're reading it. It's crazy. But he talks about racism and and I'm trying to make a parallel with everything that's going on right now. And he's in he, he, reference that he makes in there is racism has, has been going on for thousands of years. And most people have turned a blind eye to it. A large population of the world has turned a blind eye to it. Well, we're selfish, aren't we? We just, we put those blinders on. We, we know things are, are happening, but how does it affect us? And if it doesn't affect us, a lot of times we just plot on with our own thing and our own lives. Well, we're scared to step outside that bubble because we don't want to be the only one, right? I mean, I don't know that I categorize myself as one of those people, but I do know that a large population of people find strength in numbers, right? And so if the numbers, the majority of the population is saying that racism is okay, and before it was never even a political issue, it was just, that's what, that's just what it was. People were, humans were used as slaves and then slavery led into being ultimately racism. So people were afraid. I, I, I suspect that even back in the days of slavery, hundreds of years ago, there were a lot of white people who didn't agree with it, but for fear of being cast aside or as an outcast or shunned, they never, they never said anything. I imagine there's a large population. And so, or again, being selfish and just being, well, it doesn't really affect me. You know, that's bad. I see that going on, but never stepping forward and doing anything. So possibly I'm looking which at Which is, so it's Unfor both. Which is unforgivable. They're both equally unforgivable. You know, there was a, when I was in college, there was a study done many years back. I think it was in the eighties in, in New York city or maybe even earlier. And they, um, they put a helpless person in, in an alleyway and something was happening to her. Somebody was mugging her. This was all staged. Somebody was mugging her or something and she was helping is crying out for help. And they enumerated that counted the number of people that would walk by look upon it and then just keep walking. And this is in a, they put this intentionally in a busy city, this experiment so they could test it and they tested it in different environments and complete opposite results when there was nobody looking. So they, what they were studying is how likely were you to stop, observe the woman in a, in a state of stress or turmoil, I forget what was going on with her. How likely were you to look at her and then scurry about your way or how likely were you to help? And it was, it was, it was significantly, and I'm, I'm going to skew the data a bit, but it was significantly in favor of the people that walked away and did not even care or stop or look into helping her the majority of the people just went about their business. So how do we as humans correct that? How do we show up and get involved? I mean, I think Katie might know. You start by starting and you, you Katie's going to talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to bring her in. So ask that question again. Are you familiar with that story? Um, I've heard different stories like that before. Yeah. yeah. So I think that happens. All day, every day, right? Yeah. Hey, Katie, you're getting the uh, request to join. There you are. I think I bounced it. There you are. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I don't know if you know, but your door's open. Do you want it open? No. Um, one of the kiddos let the cat out, and then he just burst it in. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> so he may make an appearance. <laughs> we just rescued a cat. You know, that's life, though, right? Best laid plans, I put him down in the garage, and now he's running around in, in my room. Is there any way that you can switch your desk around with the camera with the other angle? <laughs> She's going to throw that cappuccino at you. <laughs> I can rearrange the whole room. I'll put on my weighted vest for this conversation because it's kind of heavy. 
So bring it, bring it. <laughs> so were you listening to our babble for a few minutes beforehand? So um, Lisa introduced you on how, how do you, you heard this, you've, I'm sure you're familiar with that psychological study they did that I was referencing. I mean, vaguely, I can't, uh, I the can't hold it out for you, but yeah. Okay. Well, it, I can bring it up if I have to, but the majority of the people just walked on and left her in distress. And Lisa mm -hmm. asked the question, so how do we as a population not have that response? You know, I, I think one of the, I think one of the problems that we have right now in our society without getting too pseudo deep is that we've, we've moved into the stage of like hyper individualism where our family circles and connections and community have, grown infinitely smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, we used to, and Devo, you and I have talked about this before. We used, you know, there's a reason why the saying, it takes a village exists. And we used to live like that. Um, we used to live in villages and communities where we expected our neighbors and, you know, other people from the community to look out for each other, look out for their neighbors, look out for our children, you know, and that there was no question if someone was in your quote tribe, you know, that you were going to help them. And we don't live in that kind of world anymore. And I think it's really a shame. I mean, you even look at the nuclear family. We used to live in these big interconnected groups. And I was just reading an article lately um, from David Brooks, even though I am very liberal and he's a moderate conservative, he writes a lot for the New York Times and for the Atlantic. You know, he, um, gosh, I think it was a couple months ago, could have been a year ago. He was talking about the fact that even our families have changed. You know, we used to have these huge interconnected families that, you know, generations upon generations stayed close together. And, and now it, it's fragmented down to these smaller and smaller groups to the point where most people's families, I would say for the, you know, for most of us, we live all different parts of the country. I mean, it's really just us and whoever we consider to be in our immediate family. Um, Anyways, I'll stop talking for a second, but I think that's part of what's happening is that we've gotten to a point where, you know, there's a there's a lack of community. I think people are feeling more isolated and more lonely, even more so now with COVID and social um, social distancing. And it, that's exactly why people walk by someone else, because we don't feel like that they're not in our tribe anymore. You know, so I don't have the answer to that, um, you know, but this is obvious, but it, it starts with each one of us. I mean, we are the problem. I'm the problem. The two of you are the problem, even though I think you're both fabulous. You know, when was the last time you asked someone, although you two probably, probably operate like this, but if you see someone and they just don't look like they're doing okay, what do you do? Like, how do you insert yourself into their lives? I mean, we, we live in a world now where if you walked up to someone and said, can I help you? I mean, that would feel really weird to them. It shouldn't be that way. Well, you either walk up and help them, but ask if you can take a selfie first while you're helping them. <laughs> no, yeah. but can no. I help you? And then I'm going to talk about it on social media lately because I want everybody to know how amazing I am. <laughs> Not right? being facetious, no, no, it's true. No, but honestly, from what you said, so last night I shot a very, very small wedding, just a couple and their, their two kids. And... Um, we came down the beach walk after and there was a lady, I was telling you about this, there's a lady standing out there waiting for them to come down the beach walk. And she said, I saw you walk by, you're renting the house beside us. We live here. Would you come into our backyard and have some champagne with us? 
And it was a lovely gesture, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's kind of weird, you know, she doesn't know them and she's reaching out to them and, you know, is she gonna drug us in with her, with her <laughs> campaign? Like what's going on? And that's that reaction when people just reach out and do something really kind, you're just kind of like sometimes taken back. Maybe that was just- Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of why, like I drive my family crazy. My husband will tell you, case in point, we just came back from the mountains. We were there this weekend and we were in Blowing Rock having dinner and there was another family and their kids sitting right behind us. And of course I started talking to them because that's just the way I am. And they were, they had come up from Myrtle beach and we were talking about, you know, where are you staying? How long are you here? And I was talking about how, like, if you need a good Airbnb, I'm your girl. Like I will scout out the best deal, the best, this, the best, that. I was telling them about where we were staying. And I was like, let me text you the link. So I, I just pulled out my phone and, and took her, you know, cell phone number down and texted her. And my husband, Steven was like, you know, they left the restaurant before us. And he was like, oh my gosh, you told them exactly where we're staying. And what if they go like rob the house? <laughs> and I mean, but that's not an unusual thing to think. Like I just texted this total stranger exactly where we're staying. But we had a very lovely conversation and I thought it would be a great place for them and their children to stay. This is not the best example because we're talking about like vacation homes, but it's just about not being afraid to connect. I don't care. I don't know you. I know you now. She texted me yesterday to ask how our trip was going. You know, that's a, that's a, funny that's a great story. The, the, I don't think the, the story is off point at all, but it's interesting. I think you, you tend to reflect how you perceive and how you feel about other people. So if you're constantly worrying about getting robbed or getting broken into, or that person's going to do something harmful against me, and that's what you're constantly thinking, I think that's what you're always going to see, right? I think that's what, I think you tend to reflect your own perspectives on things. Yeah, but once, I I agree, but once my husband said that, I was like, "Mm," you know, um, (laughs) I just, I think it's because of that hyper individualism and the fact that, you know, you were just talking about even how to respect debate, respect differences of opinion and, you know, how to operate with tact and flexibility. But it's a much larger, it's so much bigger than what I could try to explain right now. And yes, I do think that to a certain extent, we're tofu. I mean, we're going to take on the flavor of what we're around. And if if you're worried about someone attacking you or people having um, negative intent or malicious intent, you're going to see that in everyone. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of reasons why we've gotten to that place. I don't think that um, the majority of people would do what I did you know, which is to just connect with someone and say, oh, I don't know you. Like, I'm going to text you. I'm going to tell you where to stay. I'm going to tell you about my family. I'm going to tell you where we live. I'm going to tell you about what we're up to. Um, I don't know. It's that lack of community um, that that's fragmenting us more and more and more. And it makes me sad. And I don't, I don't know how to change it other than to keep operating the way I am, um, you know, every day, which I'm that annoying person that will make friends, you know, I'm not trying to say like, I'm so amazing. I make friends everywhere I go, but I, I, I think I connect with people everywhere I go because I actually talk to them. Like I don't look away when I'm in the grocery store, you know, I'm not afraid to ask someone if they need help. 
Um, unfortunately, 90% of the time people look at me like I'm some crazy lady and want to get as far away from me as possible because that that's an ex that's the perfect example of why that doesn't happen enough because people think it's so weird. Like Lisa, what you were saying about the champagne. Mm -hmm. It was it was so kind and so generous that you're kind of taken aback by it. And yeah, why people people are good. Why should we be surprised when somebody offers help or they smile at you when you're out or, you know, all those things that create po a positive environment? I don't know. So you said, too, I have written down here, too, and I love this, that you're a skilled matchmaker, a catalyst and a converter within the nonprofit world. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Right. And that's what like not just in the nonprofit world, we should all be like that. Right. Yeah. I mean. A Devo, I think, you know, and and I don't know you as well, but Devo and I connected a bunch of different ways. And we just started, you know, talking about, oh, well, you should meet this person. You should meet that person. And even, you know, Devo's introduced me to a bunch of different people just by connecting us via text. And, and I think that's what it takes. I mean, I think that's fun. And that's why I enjoy nonprofit work, because, um, you know, I get really excited if I can introduce someone um, to another person who may feel passionate about the same things or two people that are able to help each other. Um, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about working for 24 Foundation. Um, and, you know, we raise money through peer to peer fundraising. So we're relying on our participants um, to reach out to their network and explain to them what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. And then we take all of the funds raised roughly two million dollars a year and we distribute it to cancer navigation and survivorship programs so anything that helps you navigate that maze of can your cancer diagnosis um well one of the cool things is we get roughly 1200 to 1500 people who participate every year and if they become you know my focus is we want you to stay with 24 but if you see another nonprofit that we support that, that you care about and you have an affinity for that nonprofit, go and help them. Like we'll bless and release you. And that's where sort of the catalyst and the converter comes in is you bring people in initially and then you help them navigate the way to figure out, you know, what are the things about which I feel passionate and how can I get plugged into that? Um, and I think that, that <laughs> that's a different mindset than a lot of folks in nonprofit because we all rely so heavily on contributed income donations. And so you want to kind of keep your people close and you don't want to share them. But, but if we can do more matchmaking, we're all going to be better off in the long run. Sorry. I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. But I could keep going forever about it. Um, no, and, yeah, but people are excited about things when they're feeling really energized about things. They're going to share that with other people too. Mm -hmm. So we haven't officially introduced her with Katie Ryan. She runs the 24 Foundation. And I met you through 24 Hours of Booty, which you're, we're going to learn a little bit about in a second. And one of the things that I find, why I really wanted to bring you on here is, is not only the way we met was exactly what you talk about. That's the whole point of this podcast as well. I don't know if you read the, any of the literature that almost sent you, but the whole, point, the whole point was to find people who have an interesting story, who have a unique value proposition, and as we say, what are your superpowers and how can you gift them to the world? And so that was the whole point of the podcast. And one of the things that always impressed me about you was your connectivity and your genuine, I hate, I hate the word because it's overused, but your genuine authenticity about sharing whatever knowledge you have, connections, people, 
bandwidth to everyone around you. And so I thought it'd be fantastic to bring you on and talk a little bit about your foundation, 24 Hours of Booty. And honestly, because you're highly intellectual, understand how you're making the shifts right now in this virtual world, because that can be transferable to a lot of different industries. So welcome and thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. And thanks for your kind words. <laughs> it's always hard to accept any sort of praise. If you were like, she's a terrible person and a real pain in the butt, I'd be like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me reintroduce you. No, I mean, I, I can talk about myself. That, that's easy enough. Um, that's how she is. If you give her any sort of a compliment, she's like bright red and then turns and walks away. And I'm like, what a bitch. Say something. <laughs> I know. About me I know. I know. When you're like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I'll introduce myself. So, obviously, I'm Katie Ryan. I'm 44. I'm an Aries. Um, but <laughs> sunrises. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up on an island in Alaska. I'm a total weirdo. I talk to random strangers. Um, you know, I have a husband and, and three wonderful stepdaughters. And yes, um, Bevo's daughter came and volunteered um, because she's friends with our youngest, Samantha, and volunteered at the Kid Zone this year. And that's how, Bevo, you got introduced to 24 Hours of Booty, which, um, you know, sounds sounds a little scandalous, but it's a 24-hour um, bike ride that takes place around the booty loop here in Charlotte, which is why it's 24 Hours of Booty. Um, organization's been around for about 19 years. We've raised almost $23 million to date. And like I mentioned earlier, we support cancer navigation and survivorship programs. So what does that mean? I mean, um, for those of you that aren't active within the cancer community, you're considered a cancer survivor upon diagnosis. And um, the name is a little bit problematic because there are people who have been diagnosed with cancer with a terminal diagnosis. And they're like, don't call me a survivor because this is going to get me in the end. But that's the language that, the, that um, medical professionals use. And cancer navigation is really anything that helps you navigate that maze. It could be help paying your mortgage. It could be transportation to and from chemo, an affordable place to stay wellness programs, anything within integrative oncology. We funded the seventh floor at the new Levine Cancer Institute where you can receive all sorts of mind-body treatment, which is interesting because we're on the, the mind-body um, podcast, business podcast. And, uh, you know, so we give people the opportunity to do healing arts, music therapy, acupuncture, any number of different things that improve your life. Um, unfortunately, we aren't able to have our events this year because of COVID. So we're trying to figure out, you know, the thing that makes Booty so special is the sense of community. It's everybody coming together to make a difference about something um, they feel passionate about. So, you know, what are we going to do now in this virtual world since we can't gather yeah, we thought about doing something 24 hours where you tune in and we're going to still have some programming July 24th and 25th in our regularly scheduled event time. Um, but as we thought about community and what it means to people to come and participate in this event and ask other people to support them, it's just community, community, community. So what we're doing now, instead of being out on the booty loop, we're doing an effort called Unlooped, which is an opportunity for you to bring the event out to your home in your neighborhood. So what we're trying to do all across Charlotte, typically our event brings in people from 43 
to 44 different states. That's how many different people flew in and drove in for the event last year to come and participate with their friends and family. No matter where you are, map out a loop, you know, create a plan, have a backyard barbecue, invite friends and family over, you know, talk to your coworkers to the extent that you feel comfortable, um, create your own experience. And so I love how that ties into what we're talking about right now, because, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of virtual events where it's like, you know, just, just get online and do a live stream or do this and that. That's not necessarily what we want. We want you to connect with other people and create your own thing. I'm going to pause for a second. So I'll, I'll keep going forever. But the reaction to that has been really positive. Um, people are really excited about their ability to connect and create. So how will you raise funds around that? So when they oh. form their individual pods, there will be fundraising around that? Or is this is just straight up? The same thing. I mean, really, it's, you know, we can't all gather together as 1,200 to 1,500 people like we normally would, but you can do it on a much smaller level and you can raise money the exact same way. So we're asking people to continue, you know, when you sign up for 24 Hours of Booty, you get your own fundraising page, you get a whole bunch of resources and tools to help you email folks, try to, you know, do that peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, um, asking people that you know to make a small contribution everything is staying the same. You know, you people ride as individuals, people get together as teams. Some people, you know, it's 24 hours of booty, but some people only ride or walk the first lap. Just depends on their their desire. So you can still be in all of the teams that, you know, of course, teams don't always live in the same neighborhood. So they're figuring out, okay, you know, can we gather at someone's house? Are we going to map out, you know, are we all going to meet at the crit course in um, South Carolina and ride out there? It could be, it could be anything. You know, I have my own team I started and, and we, are, we are the exact opposite of what I was talking about, fragmented communities. My husband is one of eight and they all live in this general area. And so we're trying to get a giant Ryan family team um, and we are going to have people over at our house on the day of booty and, and get them riding, walking, skipping, jumping the three mile loop that is our neighborhood. And I've invited all my neighbors as well. Of course, COVID is throwing, you know, some people don't feel comfortable. And if they don't, I'm like, do it in your own backyard. Will you have a virtual event accompanying that? Will, will you allow people like share one big massive screen, everybody logging with their own Zoom? Yeah, I mean, we're talking through what sort of components we want. We definitely want that to happen um, when we kick off the event. It goes from 7 p.m. Friday to 7 p.m. Saturday, the 24th and 25th of July. You know, one of the most um, incredible moments is at the in-person event. The first lap is always a survivor lap where we put our cancer survivors up at the front. And you'll, you'll see folks out there on tandem bikes if they don't have the strength to ride alone. We have people in wheelchair assist bikes, um, Speed for Need, Kevin Young, and um, a bunch of the guys from F3 have created their own nonprofit that gets people out and moving if they don't have the capacity, if they're not able-bodied. It's just so moving. And so we're going to try to do something where people can tune in from wherever they are for that initial um, kickoff of the event. Um, the midnight pizza party that we have is also something really special um, at Booty. Um, and so 
we'll probably do something with that. Um, people typically at our event camp out overnight in a big tent city called Bootyville, which Devo, I know you saw that last year. It's just tents as far as you can see. Um, and so, you know, I remember from when I was little backyard camping, I mean, that was the shiz right there. So we're encouraging people to, you know, camp out in your backyard, make some s'mores. So yeah, we're going to have something at the beginning of every hour for 24 hours where people can tune in. I don't know that it will be a big Zoom screen. Um, we're, you know, we're still more than two months out. Um, well, no, we're not out. We're in June. We're, we're about two months out. Still trying to figure out those details, but we did some focus groups and we did some surveys. And for the most part, you know, people don't want to sit like I am right now and just tune in for 24 hours. They want to be able to act. They want to do something. Um, and so we're going to give them all the tools to do that and encourage them to get out and build their teams. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things this year, even though I'm sad that we can't meet in person, but when you, when we talk about community, um, in, instead of focusing on what we can't do this year, our small team at 24 foundation, um, decided that we're going to focus on what we can do and what we can do is raise awareness around this event because in the past when we have the in-person event it's an expensive event to put on so it costs 75 dollars to register and you have a 400 dollars fundraising minimum if you're an adult well this year now with this effort it's only 25 dollars to register you get the t-shirt you get all the tools and this is going to be a great year for acquisition and that's that sounds super corporate but um it gives people a chance this year to to introduce friends and family to the event without having that huge barrier to access, that being the fundraising minimum. You know, so I'm hopeful this year that we can get every single member of my husband's family to register, which wouldn't happen in a normal year because you can't expect everybody to want to pay $75 and raise 400. So we're excited about this challenge. <laughs> you know, we would love to be able to have our event, but we're excited about the fact that, you know, even here in my neighborhood, I, I live 45 minutes outside of Charlotte. Um, and I have a bunch of my neighbors who have already agreed to sign up. They would never have participated in this if we were operating, you know, in a normal list. So how do people go to just to, if those who are listening aren't aware of your program, it's 24foundation.org. Yep. That's the best way to find out about what you're doing. You talked a little bit about what you can do as opposed to focusing on what you can't do. And, you know, I know you've had um, a, a pretty stressful life in terms of some of your medical issues that you've dealt with over. You've had brain surgery. You've dealt mm -hmm. with some other medical issues because you and I talked. And I hope this is not private information, but that's oh, kind of you. I'm the ultimate oversharer. You can share anything sure. I've ever told you. <laughs> So I like I like how you've taken some of those parallels with your own life and you transfer those into your job and it's a job that you're passionate about. I mean, you do what you love and so mm -hmm. you embody it. So it's fantastic to hear you say that, that you're carrying that connectivity over to your own team who's building this. Yeah, I mean, and, and we all have our struggles and yes, I've had multiple surgeries. I have systemic lupus. I had brain surgery. I actually had hip surgery two weeks. Wait, today's Monday. Three weeks ago this morning, I had another hip surgery because after I got my hip replaced a year and a half ago, I fell down our stairs, which was, you know, a solid effort on my part. Um, you know, we all have our things, whether we know them or not. Um, I, I think what what pushes me forward is, is um, working with the great team 
at 24. I mean, I really can't take credit for what we do. I, I can take partial credit in that I'm a part of it. Um, but, but I think the community that we've been able to create at 24 with all of the people that participate and how passionate they are, um, you know, that's the stuff right there. And it's, it's about people connecting. I mean, I consider 24, I mean, people feel super passionate about this organization and it's because we've created a community amongst our folks. We stay connected throughout the year. You don't just show up at the event. I mean, some people do. But for the most part, we <laughs> believe it or not, especially the staff. I mean, Lisa Dale, who's our VP, is a perfect example of this. Um, she's connected to everyone at the event. She manages our teams and our participants. But then outside of that, I mean, she's at people's weddings. She's at birthdays. You know, we're we're, we're out, you know, inserting ourselves into these people's lives and they're welcoming us. I mean, this is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I People always tell you at work and as a leader that you should, you know, you need to be a leader. You don't need to be a friend. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's BS because it's all about trust and loyalty. And I want to know what's happening in your life. I mean, there's a certain line that I won't cross, but, you know, I probably share more than anybody else in our office. You know, whether I have an upset stomach and you're like, I don't want to hear about that. Or, you know, (laughs) I'm talking about something big that's happening, you know, in my life. I don't know. I just, I just think we've come become too quiet about who we are, um, and that's the good stuff and the bad stuff and the silly stuff and the stupid stuff and you know the fact that you know I'm on a podcast right now and maybe I'm not the most professional and polished person in the world and I'm like oh my hair looks flat that stinks who has some dry shampoo for me, but I but I think that's what it's all about right I mean you're not going to get me all buttoned up because that's not who I am and I don't act that way professionally either. And neither do our participants or our staff for that matter. I mean, is that what sense to you guys? I think the reason I've been successful in my career is because I am, I mean, I'll joke and say I'm a total weirdo, but I think a lot of people think I am because I'm so wide open that I bet if you pulled a bunch of the people that are involved at 24, they'd be like, Oh wow. She's yeah. She's like a lot, but it's just because I don't try to put on any other persona. But that's refreshing. That's refreshing. Um, I want to ask you a question as well. We spoke to you probably a couple of months ago, and that was just on the kind of the start of, of COVID and everything mm-hmm. that was happening. And you had already had a million and one ideas of, you know, Devo's talking, you th- saying, have you? And you're like, no, we've done this and this and this and this. <laughs> had this think tank together. Like, how did you, how did you coordinate, coordinate that already knowing that, okay, this isn't going to work what we usually do. And you already had a million and one ideas together. I'll, I'll answer that for you. You heard all the surgeries that she's had and all that. She's basically AI now. They're morphing through oh. a cyborg. Yeah. I have titanium here, here. <laughs> you can't see them. There, there, there. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the 24 team and what I would consider to be the 24 family, because as soon as um, things really ramped up with COVID, I mean, we started talking about things right away and our staff team is interesting. Um, You know, we, we are constantly texting each other. I should pull out my phone. And I mean, there's all sorts of silly stuff and, you know, gifts and all the stuff that goes back and forth between us. And I, I think, you know, 
it's the magic of having a great connected team is that you just immediately shift and start sharing ideas um, and, and, and you maximize people's strengths. So, you know, we all kind of went off and gathered our, our ideas and came back together and said, okay, well, this is the shift we're going to have to make. Let's start thinking about it now. Um, and, and I think positivity is a huge part of that. And, and the ability to say, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is a PG podcast, but um, just yeah. you guys are both like, no, um, <laughs> just the ability to be like, God, this really effing sucks. And, you know, to allow ourselves to wallow in our disappointment and let our fingers get real pruny in it, you know, for about 24 hours and be like, okay, let's move on because no one wants to come to your, your pity party and everybody wants to come to your dance party. So, you know, we can lean on each other for those moments that we're like, this, this blows. Um, but once we're over it, you know, we got to think about what's exciting. You talked in the outset of the call about this sense of community and how you live your life and the connectivity and how we used to live that way as indigenous people in small tribes. How did we get away from that? What are your thoughts around that? How, how, why are we where we are today where it's almost, like, it's almost like social media has, while it's supposed to connect people, it's so pervasive and we're so tuned into that all the time that it almost serves as counterproductive to connectivity. Mm. At least in physical space. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the answer to that. I, I, I think the continued focus on self and individual success, um, you know, is a part of it. And what success means um, has shifted how we operate from a community standpoint. Um, I think that we've moved away from believing that there is nothing wrong with an ordinary, li ordinary life and that everybody somehow has to be extraordinary or what our definition of extraordinary is. You know, you have to be the best at sports. You have to be the best at school. You have to, you know, plan and get your volunteer work in and get, you know, so that you can get into a great college or university. And then you have to be, um, you have to aspire to move up in the ranks in business. You want a nicer car, you want a bigger house, you want, you know, all of these things. Um, what's wrong with living a more ordinary life? And I don't mean ordinary as um, a negative, but why do you have to achieve all of those things? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's one of the things that I think is different with me when I talk to my stepdaughters. I'm like, you know, if college isn't your thing, don't go to college. You know, go to go to a trade school, um, find something that you feel passionate about and pursue it and just make sure that you've gotten yourself enough training or enough education that you can provide for yourself and your family. You don't need the big house. You don't need the nice car. You don't need any of these things. And those don't define success. Um, I think that's why we are where we are. Um, you know, I live in a nice house. I, I lead an organization, but I could turn around. I feel like I could turn around tomorrow and step out of this role and, and, and be perfectly fine. Um, I wouldn't feel like I wasn't enough. Well, it's just the opposite 
because as we're constantly striving for excellence, because that's what we're told we're supposed to do. The opposite is equally as true. If you don't have any sort of success or you don't go to college or you don't have a, a nice car or a big house, then you're told that you're, you were a failure in a lot of ways by society. Yeah. By your We've parents. had that conversation so many times that you grow up thinking you have to tick all these boxes and then you get the prize at the end of the rainbow. And I think a lot of us get there and we're still searching. We're still searching for that thing that brings us that contentment or that passion or that fulfillment. Yeah. And it, it's not the the G wagon that just didn't do it, or the. I know what the, that is now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't have one, or the you know the massive house with all the other houses. Like it's it's just adding to that that game that takes you away from that simplicity of finding what what that that secret sauce is. Well, yeah, but that's for you, Katie, to say you have a Porsche Cayenne sitting in your driveway right now, donated from Hendrix. So. <laughs> a cappuccino um, this morning. I actually drive a 2014, a now drive a 2014 Toyota Corolla that has 80,000 miles on it. Devo, when we first met, I was driving a 2018 Toyota 4Runner. <laughs> I got you beat. I'm in a 2011 300,000 mile 4Runner. So. <laughs> 2013 but, Mini Cooper. <laughs> People were asking me yesterday, they're like, how do you like your Mini? I'm like, have you... Have you looked at walk around the other side and ask me again? You know, <laughs> there's one thing that I I am reminded of all the time, and it's still a pain point for me. And I'll bring it up. My um, my oh, sorry, I'm shaking my feet, and therefore shaking the. <laughs> I thought there was a small magnitude earthquake going on in Waxhaw just now. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, honey, I'm in Monroe. Let's not sugarcoat this, okay? Oh, um, hmm, no, child. Um, so my so. former spouse, his um, his boss, um, and I won't get into detail, and, and this is still so, I can't believe how often I still think about this. I was feeling, this was probably 10, 10 years ago. Um, I was feeling super burned out in my job and I wasn't, I was working for a nonprofit. I was not, it was not bringing me any kind of joy um, or happiness or fulfillment. And so I started thinking about what I really enjoyed. And it was, you know, teaching fitness classes, connecting with people, helping people feel just better about themselves. Um, I had just finished teaching, um, coaching the Couch to 5K program at Run For Your Life, which it was mainly deconditioned people. And I was like, you know, I would really love to do something like this for a living. And I remember having a conversation, he had told his um, boss about it. And I remember having a conversation with her and she said, you know, I can't remember exactly how she said it, but she basically said, do you not have any drive? Do you not care about achieving something in your life? And I was so taken aback by the notion that just because, yes, I'm a highly educated person with, you know, at the time with, with a high level leadership position that I would step down and want to coach people who were overweight to run their first 5K. And she was just appalled by that notion. And I think that without throwing too much shade her way, I think that's part of our problem. Um, you know, yeah, I wish I made more money, but I, 
I don't think I could ever move from nonprofit into some other profession. I, I cannot imagine processing loans for a living. And that doesn't mean that that's not a decent profession, but you know, I'll take my low pay and my long hours and the tears that I shed over people that I meet who, who pass away from cancer later on. I'll take, I'll take that any day. Um, anyways, my whole point is, sorry, I'm rambling. Mm -mm. You know, I would still love if I could, if I could pay my mortgage and, and survive, I would still love to run a program like that. And that to me would mean success. Um, but yeah, back to the initial question was, you know, why, why have we gotten to this point in our society? It's like, we don't value the ordinary. We don't value the everyday. We don't see the extraordinary in the ordinary. You know, the fact that, you know, the person working at the front desk at the retirement community or rehab facility, we don't put them at the same level as we do a VP from Bank of America. And to me, their work is even more important. I mean, all of our work is important, regardless of what we do. Well said. Well, it, it's funny. It almost feels like we've lost our way in so many important ways from how we how we raise ourselves, how we raise our children and, and the priorities. Yeah, I have a similar background as you in terms of working in the corporate world and I don't raise money. But it's interesting to me how many different people have such a dramatically alternative perspective. And, and I always we talked about this at the beginning. I had a completely different perspective perspective of what life was supposed to be just five years ago. And I, and I always wonder, and I wrote about this yesterday on Instagram, where we are right now, whether you're developmental, you're developmental or my developmental or the world as a whole, where we are, is, is that all just part of a master plan to you in terms of, do we control who we become? Do we control how we turn out or do we have very little say in it? And I'm going somewhere with this question first, after you answer that. Um, Right now, I don't think we have a lot of say in it until we get to an age where, where we can recognize that so much of it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, I love my parents and I know that they're proud of me, but that pressure to achieve was always there. Um, and that's why I'm trying to be um, a little bit different with my stepchildren is <laughs> a lot of people will disagree with this, but there's nothing wrong with good enough. And I don't, but there's a fine line. I mean, it's not, you still have to try and you still have to um, operate with, with respect and tact and honor and courage and all of those different things. But it's not, you know, if you've worked your tail off, and you got to see in something, you know, then I'm going to celebrate that. Um, if you decide that you don't want to play the sport and be the champion, even though you may be the best one on the field, because, you know, you like to come home and draw or come home and walk the dog. I don't see that as a failure. Um, I'm not coming up with the best examples, but I think that um, we're given this checklist um, of things, like you said earlier, Lisa, you, we've given this checklist of things that we're expected to tick off as we get older. And I think that roadmap leads people off course. 
from who they really are. It's it's some pre-printed directions that don't necessarily get you where you want to go. And we are applying a one size fits all to everyone in our society, to everyone in our community, to every child that, you know, these are the things that you're going to do. You're going to get good grades. You're going to excel at sports. You're going to, you know, be all of these different things that we define as success. And if you're not those things, then you're just average. You're ordinary. There's nothing special about you. We're not focusing on the right things. So honestly, what are you going to write in your Christmas brag letter if you can't brag about your children and getting all these awards and all of that? You know, it's hard on parents when they can't brag about their kids. Yeah. No, I was one of those moms that opened up other people's and went, oh. No, but what's so? Are you one of those moms talk shit? What? Were you one of those moms who wrote out the, the list at Christmas and sent it out to everyone with the cards? Because we're about to talk shit. Because I no. was wanting to write the anti-Christmas brag letter. Um, Parker's grades weren't very good. We're worried about him. He's lost his zest. Yeah. My seven-year-old is still in a diaper. But I, I think the Christmas brag letter is the perfect example. Now, I have stepchildren, and um, I've only been in their lives for about five years. So I, I And no, I don't send out those types of things. But why, why in our Christmas brag letters do we not write, you know, um, earlier this summer, Samantha found a bird's, it's a true example, Samantha found a bird's nest that had, of little baby birds that had been knocked out of a tree during a storm and she took care of them and nursed them and her kindness continues to inspire us every day. That stuff does not make it into the brag list. That's what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the fact that, you know, R Rebecca is, you know, an incredibly um, in empathetic, is that the right word? Empathic, empathetic person um, who, when she sees that, that something's wrong or you're down, I mean, she's the first person to come and put her arm over your shoulder. That's what our brag letter should be. It should be about the fact that, you know, our 83-year-old neighbor, Faye, lost her husband last year, and the girls went over and picked up all the twigs out of her yard. You know, these are the things that we need to be focusing on. You know, not that not that Becca was all conference in volleyball, but... Well, they go to school together. Okay, but yeah, yeah but she know. took the step to, to be part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways... I, it sounds so, you know, making it sound like it's so easy, but why are we not focusing on the things that really matter? Kindness, empathy, um, taking action within your community, um, connecting with others. Why, why aren't we bragging about those things? Mm. Pause for thought. It, because it doesn't, it doesn't sell. It doesn't, it's not the glamorous. It's not, especially here in on the Western world, but American in particular, we're, we're taught from an early age that instant gratification, we don't have to work very hard for it. If we, uh, all the things that we're given, the way we raise our children, all those different things, the, the slam dunk. I think that's, this is a crazy analogy, but I think that's one of the reasons why soccer isn't very successful in America. Just, going somewhere it's growing but soccer is a long drawn out match without commercial breaks in between and there's not a lot of glamorous activity going on especially if you don't know the game and so people who have never grown up with soccer they've grown up with commercials 
spits of slam dunks and quarterback sacks and big plays and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's a nice parallel for life in general. Like we always want the next big thing right away. We're not willing to step into the process and just kind of be part of the ordinary for a while. Well, we all want our participant ribbon. We all want mm -hmm. that bright, shiny thing that we can display that, that proclaims who we are as opposed to, and honestly, there's something because I'm older now, there's something that, that knowledge or comfort that comes with getting older that you have those aha moments where it's like, you know what, less is more. I don't need all these things. And I appreciate people that don't have the filter on and actually don't say my family's perfect. They say, Hey, we're struggling with this. What are you doing in that situation? And opening up those, those opportunities for conversation and growth and connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, you know, how do we find how do we find that middle ground between you know I I was a state champion swimmer, and it really defined a big part of who I was. Um, you know, I won state in both my events, and sorry, you may have a cat enter the picture in a second, but um, and being that sort of champion athlete was such a huge part of <laughs> life. Cat <laughs> was such a huge part of, I'm so sorry, he was locked up. Um, I um, was a, such a huge part of who I was. So how do we find, how do we bridge the gap between having it be okay? <laughs> um, you know, you're gone. Having it be okay um, to want to win and having it be okay to, to not. I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to live the best version of yourself and be yeah. as good as you can be. But um, I think that the line for me was to draw an analogy to you and your sports. I grew up playing sports and I, I never, I ended up playing football most of my life, American football. I fucking hated football. I hated hitting people and I hated getting hit, but <laughs> I, I wanted to play soccer. I wanted to play less contact sports and I was into theater and I was specifically told that I was quote unquote, a, faggot and a P word if I didn't play football or do man sports. And so like I grew up thinking my whole life, Jesus, man, I always wanted to play something else. I wanted to do that, but I have to do this for what reason? And then that just carried over into my grades. If I got a slightly lower grade, then I was, wasn't was good enough, et cetera. And I'm not going to go into my psychology there, but I, I can't be unique in that proposition. There are millions of people who grow up in that exact same way. And, and you talked about reading from the checklist, you know, my, my dad was reading from a checklist that was handed to him from somebody else. And it just kind of comes, becomes a self-deprecating way of raising people. And so how do you break that cycle? That's the, and it sounds like you're doing that the way you live your life and the way you raise your stepchildren. Well, I'm trying. By the way, I don't like the word stepchildren. They're, they've kind of become your kids in a way, right? I know people get weird about it though. Like, um, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll say, oh, well, our children and people will correct me and say, oh, well, they're not, you know, they're your stepchildren though. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I want to be respectful to their mom, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think we just have to keep, you know, and I try my best, but I have those moments where I'm like, you know, I know you could have gotten an A, you, you were just being lazy. Um, I, I think that we just need to continue to focus on the things that make us better. And that's not necessarily, you know, nailing trigonometry and getting, you know, an A plus, 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 plus. It's, it, it, it's connecting with someone that does not live within your community at your school. You know, it's, it's asking like, you know, Hey, Becca, have you, have you been, you know, I don't, you know, when you think about everything that's going on in our society right now and the fact that we see people 
you know, especially as Caucasians, you know, every couple of years we get outraged and, and we and we go out for the protest. But what are we doing? What are we doing in between there in, in between those periods of time? Like, Rebecca, are you connecting with people at school that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't come from, uh, you know, our neighborhood, that don't live in the same type of world that we live in? I mean, those are the things that we should be focusing on. Is and I'm sorry, this cat is like determined to be on the podcast. The conversation Lisa and I had, honestly, we've been having this a yeah. lot lately. Is you might have just opened up another Pandora's on, box honestly, here. I, okay, here, here's just let me go for a second here. Okay, I have no problem with the current situation where people are using their platform and their voice to support a cause. I have zero problems with it. I think there should be equanimity across the planet. However, what have you been doing for the last hundreds of years and thousands of years when all this has been going on for the last 20 years, for the last 10 years, the last five years? So what happens now? Will you be able to maintain this voice? That's what I want to see what happens. Let me see. It's more than just one post. It's not one Instagram post. It's not one day. And I actually was questioned because I hadn't put any position out on Instagram. And I was like, who am I to put a position out? I live racial justice every single day. Like I teach... I teach my children and every, why would I, why does that matter? What are you going to be doing for the next 60 days, the next 90 days, the next two years? How are you going to promote that? And that's what I asked. And then can we continue on with that? Because you, and not to belittle anything, but when we talk about all the things in the world that, that do need a community support around it, how many things were you listing off that all the other things that we need to care about, whether it's cancer research, whether it's, it's, homelessness, it's homelessness yeah. starvation, starvation the, 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 the fact that 250,000 acres of trees are burned every single minute across the planet. Like, where do you start? And so, like, so you, where, where would you, where would you suggest, how do you suggest people or spur them on to find that, that voice supporting that thing that they want and how do they continue that growth with it and not just like, you know, show up for a couple of weeks and then just fizzle just out. Just because it's a fact. Yeah. Well, I, I think it doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be putting, you know, a stance on social media. It's the small things that you choose to do every day to rebuild our village. It's it's talk, talking to someone in the grocery store. It's asking someone if they need help. It's, you know, volunteering so that you can connect with people outside of your own community or your own socioeconomic bracket. It doesn't have to be that hard. It just has to be something that you do every day. And it's, it's, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever read the five love languages, but I think it's similar to that in that you need to recognize an issue and what needs to be done. And then you just need to actively create a habit. And that habit can be, you know, constantly seeking out people that have different opinions and come from different communities and different backgrounds. It, and, and that, you know, I know I'm making it sound easy, um, but what can you do, you know, based on who you are and where you live and what you believe, how can you push yourself out of your comfort zone to connect with people that aren't the same as you? And if we all start doing that more often with, you know, doesn't mean we have to um, be loud about it, but if we just start doing that more often and trying to make sure that we're looking in the mirror, you know, once a week or once a month and saying, who, who did I meet? Um, what did I do? How did I help? What kind of conversation did I have? If you haven't stepped outside of your bubble, then you're part of the problem. 
I, I love what you've just said, because I think a lot of us uh, like the idea, but when things aren't easy, we don't take that step or, or the, the common response for most of us is like, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Well, everybody's busy. And some of the busiest people are doing the most as far as giving back. Well, and it's simple things like, you know, look for places in our community like King's Kitchen, where, you know, the employees there are being trained to, you know, to lift themselves out of poverty or addiction um, and and learn how to um, how to have a, a profession where they can become self-sustaining. Go to the Community Matters Cafe that's part of the Charlotte Rescue Mission and have a cup of coffee. And when the person is who is serving you comes up, ask them about themselves, get to know them. It doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't mean that you become the lead volunteer at the men's shelter. It can be as simple as that. And I'm gonna have to ring off in a second because I have a 10 o'clock and it's yeah. 10 five, but. Well, let's close this down. So where I started off with that story, it's called the bystander effect. And so what I took from everything that you said, Lise, and everything that you said, Katie, is don't have a bystander effect and you don't have to have proof of it on social media that you're being kind and being racially just or being whatever it is. Just take one small step of not being a bystander for the benefit of someone else, not yourself. And that's where you start. Well, and start where, start where you're comfortable. And I don't know why there's an echo. Um, start, you know, start where you're comfortable. You know, go if you're in Charlotte, go get a dang cup of coffee at Community Matters Cafe right right in Uptown. It's over near Panther Stadium. Just freaking take yourself out of your comfort zone and go down and be around people that don't look like you and don't sound like you and come from a different background and and start there. It doesn't have to be big. You don't have to suddenly immerse yourself in some sort of movement. It's just little little grains of sand. Um, well, that's where I was going with that. You don't yeah. have to be part of the movement per se. You can create your own movement by doing your own individual stuff. Yeah. So I, and if and if you don't know where to start, um, you know, text me, man. My phone number is 704-962-7718. Let's be friends. I mean, come on. So that so before you jump off, you you live what you say. You're not just talking shit to bloat yourself up because I mean, I here's try. My, I don't always get it right. Let me, let me say this before you jump off with your cat. So you were in the, <laughs> when I met Katie, she was in the midst of the event. I, I dropped my daughter off around eight or nine o'clock that night or six o'clock, whatever it was to volunteer at your event. And I had never heard of, I had heard of the event, but I'd never been at it. And so I quickly, I'm like you, I just start talking to people. And my kids think I'm weird for doing it, but they're thinking it's less weird now. You are weird. And I asked who was responsible for this event and if they, whoever they were, whomever they were, if they were around and somebody pointed, I went down a rabbit hole till I found you and you were over on the other side of a tent across the grass. And so I went over and I sought you out and just introduced myself. And, and I was expecting because of the gravity of the event and the fastidiousness of what was going on. I mean, it was a circus down there, people everywhere coming and going, well, an organized circus. And I expected you would just kind of brush me off and be like, yeah, that's nice to meet you, great. But you actually stopped doing whatever you were doing that moment in time and you sat for about 10 minutes and you spoke to me. And so that's how I connected with you. And I was like, holy shit, I actually remember when I picked up my kid that night, I was like, man, that woman who runs the event, she seems really cool and authentic. Like she actually sat there and talked to me. I mean, I know I'm a big deal and all, but nonetheless, in the middle of your event, you actually stopped your event. Were you throwing poker chips at her? 
Like I totally don't know if someone had come up to me and I was in the middle of trying to launch this event, I would, if I would have been like, let's sit and talk for 10 minutes. And so that really impressed me. And so obviously you're not just talking, you're walking everything that you said. So I appreciate, appreciate you. Well, I think that's, I think that's the part of building community um, is that in that moment, I was just really interested in, you know, learning more about you. And I, and I think that we all need to have more of an interest in other people. Because right now, we most of us don't, unless they can get us something or give us something. Yeah. True. True. It's always what's in it for me. What can I get? What can I get out of that to make this situation? The whole idea I, of networking. I hate we're that. All like, you know, what is it? I just. I, I hate the term networking because to me that that indicates that you're looking to get something from someone else. I, I think we shouldn't have networking events. We should have connecting events and it shouldn't just be business people or, um, you know, people looking to further their careers and there's nothing wrong with that, but we should just have, you know, connection parties or it's like, whoever you are, come and talk about yourself. And I really do have to ring off because I have someone that's- Or somebody ready. should start a podcast that does that. Go yeah. figure it Oh, like you guys. Go and feed your cat. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate well, maybe you we should, You know, maybe we should think about when things are, you know, things clear up and it's a little bit more safe. I mean, why can't we have, why don't we do, and maybe you're doing it, why don't we do follow-ups to these podcasts and say, okay, we're meeting at Lincoln's Haberdashery for anybody that wants to talk a little bit more about this or just to get get to know other folks. Like, let's sit at that big table there and just and hang out and have a drop-in. Yeah, we, we, we actually do that. So when we can get together with people physically, we actually invite them into a space. It yeah. is actually, it's fantastic to see it all come together. Because we vibe different when people are right with us. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's effective. Being like, well, count me in. So I, I'm all about social. So if you want to connect for real coffee when I'm back in Charlotte, I'm in. Can you just leave us with how people can connect with you? Yeah, well, I already gave my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> your site, um, your honestly, Instagram. Yeah. Um, well, my Instagram, I think I have two pictures posted. Um, but <laughs> it's... Um, Tater Tots, which is funny, but it was my nickname when I was little, um, like Tater Tots, um, but it's with a K, 76 on Instagram, um, Facebook, 24 Foundation. yeah, 24 Foundation, you can find me there, it's just Katie, K-A-T-Y at 24foundation.org, or you can text me, and I actually took my business phone number off of my business cards and only have my cell phone number on there because I want to be that accessible to people, so again, it's 704-962-7718. Um, and that's it. I mean. Your Instagram page for 24 Foundation is 24 underscore foundation. And then your website is 24foundation.org. And that's the numbers 24foundation.org. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you so All much. All right, you guys. For taking the time. You good? Fantastic. Thanks, Katie. Have a great day. You Thank too. You. Bye. Any closing thoughts? Uh, she was really spectacular, really eye-opening, and just talking about the basic things, the simple things. We didn't get to, we um, two weeks in a row. We haven't gotten to do hot seat. I think we did a little bit of hot seat last week, just not much. We did, I um, the conversation. I kept trying to show you the clock. 
but I wasn't sure if we were going to keep going. I didn't anyway. have glasses on. I couldn't All see right. It. Lisa and Diva here from Mind Body Business. That was fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Uh, next week, we're supposed to be getting in the habit of doing this. Next week, we have, mm. I'm really excited to bring on B Coates. I just like saying that name, B Coates. And she is a mental. Oh. Yeah. So she is a mental health therapist, educator, psychologist turned domestic abuse, violence, counselor, therapist, coach. And Does that all fit on one business card? No, she has two. It's double-sided. <laughs> and you have to read it over to get her email address. Just flip it over. But she's going to come on and talk because you and I had this concept or this conversation a few weeks ago on one of the things that I was reading about was going on. I think I read it in The Guardian initially, and so I started researching it, and it's 100% true that – the rise in domestic violence, sexual assault, and all sorts of pervasive bullshit that happens at home, generally wrought on by men, has increased exponentially. And the number is something like 6,000% because of Corona. Um, and people are locked in their homes and now they're living with somebody who might've already been violent or somebody who might've already been prone to alcoholism and now that's been compounded, right? And so she's gonna come on and talk about a program that she started where she actually works with general men who have been sent to prison and all sorts of stuff and, and uh, ways that we can uh, help ourselves in terms of getting out of violence, contact number, that sort of stuff. And she's going to talk, do her whole thing next week. So that's what we have on. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Great show. Thank you. <laughs> Watching her.